Welcome to There's Always a First, a podcast about first-generation Americans who are using their voices and talents to push the boundaries of culture. I'm Helena Ramprasad. On this week's episode, I talked to Zaida Perez. Zaida was born in the Dominican Republic and moved to New York when she was 12 years old. She attended new explorations into science, technology, and math high school, also known as NEST, which is where she and I met. Zaida then went to Babson College, where she studied business. Currently, she's a consulting analyst for Accenture, a Fortune Global 500 company that offers consulting and professional services to businesses. Zaida shares her experience being a Latina immigrant and the challenges she had to overcome, as well as the lessons she's learned. When somebody asks you what your nationality is, would you answer American first or Dominican? I'm Dominican, straight up Dominican too, because I wasn't born here. I do have a U.S. citizenship, but um, I hold, uh, I believe I hold dual citizenship. So in my head, I'm Dominican. I cannot say that I have ever even sang the U.S. national anthem or anything like that. I have a lot of patriotism to my country. So can you tell me more about your experience first coming to live in New York. When we came here, I really hated it because in the Dominican Republic, life was very chill and I had an amazing childhood, but here it was like, everything was so completely different. We were couch surfing. We lived in like a random room at some like literally random person's apartment and you and your mom living together in a one, like literally one room, not a one bedroom apartment, in literally a bedroom drives you freaking insane, right? Because in the Dominican Republic, there's very much that it takes a village mentality. I always had different people to rely on. And this sounds so terrible to say, but I don't think that I needed my mom so much over there, right? So I didn't get the chance to get to know her one-on-one before we even came to this country, which I have a more liberal and open mindset than my mom, obviously. And at that time, it was a lot more clashing because that's what happens when you come from a different country at a young age, right? You adopt a lot of the mentalities from that new country um, and it clashes with just like the culture you've known your entire life. So that was, I dreaded that quite a bit and also having to make friends, having to learn the language. Took me a couple of years to really feel like, like New York was home until like later in high school. Tell me more about your experience entering a school system in a new country. What were those middle school years like for you? I went to this bilingual school for at first when I came to to the U.S. So most of the classes were conducted in Spanish, but I cannot say that the the actual content itself was on par with, with what I was learning in the Dominican Republic. I felt like my education was a lot more advanced in the Dominican Republic. So I'm very glad that I didn't get held back when I came back, when I came here. I think I was there for maybe half a year to a year. My mom moved me to a regular school, essentially, not not a bilingual school, because she felt that I wasn't learning English fast enough. That was a whole different experience. I was bullied at that school because of the way that I talked, obviously, accent. I didn't know English, but I'm very glad that I went through that experience, though, because I really learned how to stand up for myself from that. Yeah, it was difficult, but I was able to make it from the bilingual class that they had there into a 
a regular English class and all the way into the honors class, which I think opened so many doors for me. The school didn't have top ratings, um, but I found so many people that really supported me, so many teachers that really were always sticking out for me and that I still talk to. I'm glad for that experience because it also gave me a very real glimpse of, I think, what inequality and racism is in this country. I think in the Dominican Republic, I myself didn't experience that much inequality because I am white. But then I came here and I saw how differently this school was treating the bilingual class, for example, or the, or the like, quote unquote, bad um, regular classes as well in comparison to how they were treating the honor skits and everything like that. It's like insane because I look at what everyone is doing that I went to that school with and it's a mostly clear cutout of where everyone ended up based on the classes they were in. And I really do believe that that's because there was not an equal amount of support shown. So we went to the same high school, Nest, which was what they called a gifted and talented school. So you had to take a special test and everything to get in. How did you find out about it? I think I got, I got into like a completely like random high school that my principal from middle school wanted me to go to. My math teacher approached me and said, you know, I know that you don't want to go to the school that you got into and that you were kind of pressured into it. I took the test and all of that and got in. And I think that was such a life-changing moment for me. So life-changing. I thank my teachers from, my, from middle school a lot for pushing me. And I also really think, thank NEST because I, I think they provided me with a lot of different soft skills that I wouldn't have had had I gone somewhere else. So I'm very happy that I, that I went there. We were really lucky. We were. And you know what? It's crazy. I think that you and I, well, we're both in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And where we're thinking, oh, we were so lucky. Whereas kids we went to high school with, they wouldn't see it the same way. So what do you, mm. what do you think about that? I think Nest was really the first place where I saw socioeconomic background being this really big freaking thing. I think Ness was so, such a peculiar place, like the more I think about it, because like, like we're saying, we thought we were lucky. I know that you had a long ass commute, just like I did. I think it was like an hour and a half for me, and I, I think probably around the same for you, each way, which I think is so insane that we even had to do that. Like that speaks a lot to the inequalities of New York as well. Like, why did we have to go an hour and a half for a good high school? To me, a lot of our classmates were rich, extremely wealthy, right? In comparison to where I had been growing up or like, I did have a lot of jealousy. Now that I'm looking back at it, I know that I did. I don't think it affected me negatively though, but it was always like in the back of my mind, kind of like, why can't I have this? Like, why didn't have this same experience growing up or anything like that? Um, or why like can I not afford to look at colleges without thinking about how much money I may potentially have to pay for it? What I do really appreciate about Nest, they were not aware of the 
socioeconomic privilege that they had. But in my experience, they weren't flashy. They weren't showing off. That was their day-to-day. That was their normal. That being normalized plays a lot into why financial literacy is so important to me. Because one day I want to be able to have that mentality as if they were so normal and not as if like striving for literally just like certain shoes to be so out of this world that is something that I have to wish for. So I think that a good point you touched on is the idea of striving. Sometimes it can feel like you're striving harder. In high school or just any part, any point in your academic career, have you felt that you were striving harder? Or you, you had to work harder than everyone else because of the privileges they had? Yeah. And you know what's interesting about that is that I know people say that all the time. I personally myself don't say it that often, right? But the reason I don't say it is because it's been so ingrained in me that I don't even realize that I'm working 10 times harder because to me, that's like the standard that I've set for myself. To me, I'm just hitting my standard. But then, you know, in college, I started comparing my my actions to other people's and my results to other people as well. That's where, where I saw like, this person is doing the absolute bare minimum. And I think, I, I think that's what it is. I've never thought of myself working 10 times harder. I just thought of other people doing the bare minimum and getting to the same place, which I think pisses me off so much more. Um, <laughs> so for example, with the recruiting process, I think I was very, very, very fortunate to have a network and have the capability to get myself certain jobs, certain opportunities, right? But I see some of my friends that work just as hard as me and that just didn't have, for example, the same programs or the same people backing them up that were really, really, really worried about getting jobs after graduation. But then I see some other peers from Babson that come from so much money that I, I cannot even imagine having the amount of money these people have. And they don't really have to worry about it. I worked really hard to get internships. And I think my junior year, I got something like five or six offers. But the year before that, I literally got none. So that's how hard I had to work, right? To go literally from zero to six. In certain rooms that we were talking about career progression, I was, I was never the first person to be called. Even though I know for a fact, I was one of the people that had the most offers. And in most rooms, I would be the person that had the most offers. And that just goes to show you can work hard. You can do these actions. You can get the results and you will still not be the person that people actually go to. That was really hard during college, especially during my senior year. Cause I'm just like, I've proved myself. That's kind of how I felt. And it still was not enough. And I think now I'm understanding so much more that it literally doesn't matter. If you wanted to know, or if you wanted to hear anything from me, you would. That's number one. Number two is, I still have these amazing opportunities. So what would you say to somebody listening who is in that position right now where they feel that they're working really hard, they're super qualified, and and they're just not being noticed, or they're not being given the platform? I'm going to give some advice that is not very conventional. The way that I changed from going to from zero to six offers was that 
I started acting like a white man. And I think that can be annoying about me because being a woman and acting like a white man, I can see how that could piss people off. What does acting like a white man mean? To act like a white man because you can be a little more entitled. And I think to people of color and, and, and immigrants specifically, it feels so wrong to act entitled because you, you always feel like you have to act with an extreme gratitude. And I think people pick one or the other. You either have to be extremely grateful or you have to have some sense of entitlement. And I think you need to have both. I can tell you that I was not 100% qualified for all the jobs that I, that I applied to. My mentality was, if I can't do this now, I need to get a certain level of knowledge if I get this interview. And by the time I start this job, I better know how to do it. That was my mentality. And it's just kind of having that trust in yourself that this is something I don't know, but this is something I will know by the time the, the, the challenge actually comes. And just like acting with a certain kind of confidence that I think, and I'm saying acting because it's, it's not usually real, right? Um, it, it works to a certain extent. And if you act like you should be there, other people will, will start to believe that you should be there. And you know what? You should be there. Why not? People should be really introspective and ask yourself, seriously, why am I not getting these opportunities? Because, yeah, a lot of the time is about bias from other people. But sometimes there's something that you could do better as well in order to position yourself in a, in a better way. Do you feel that there have been times people were stereotyping you or just trying to put you on a lower pedestal than you actually belong to be and how did you how did you deal with that yeah I think there have been certain times where it's been very in my face and I'm not able to say if it's because my identity as a Latina or my identity as a woman I'm in training right for my company I said the entire group is women except for this one man and I would be saying stuff and they would they would be agreeing with me until he said something and then everyone would kind of think my idea was stupid which you know sometimes your ideas are stupid fine but then my idea goes and gets implemented and I'm just like so you didn't think my idea was stupid you just thought he had something better to say in which he didn't (laughs) um but I also have had times where I feel like something is wrong, but I can't pimp, like I cannot point it out. And those are the hardest times because sometimes it's super clear that something is going off because of your identity. But there are certain times that you're just like, you really don't know, but you have a feeling and then you can't express that feeling to other people for like fear that they won't understand you or that they will think that you're exaggerating or anything like that. A lot of times my credibility as a person has been diminished. Has anyone in your family tried to push you into a certain career? I don't think I ever felt extremely, extremely, extremely pressured. So I'm very grateful that I'm first gen because I also, this sounds wrong, but I took a little bit of advantage of the fact that my mom didn't know how things are done in this country. So when I was applying to high school, 
my mom didn't know the process. I, that entire thing, I did it by myself. For college, the same thing. I was able to make those big decisions on my own. I, I know that it's not like that for every first-generation student in the U.S., but that's the way that it was for me. Your parents don't know, like, oh, you know, a, di- a data sa- scientist is making X amount of money. Maybe you should go into that. They're not going to be able to pressure you. So I took advantage of that. Um, so thankfully, I have not felt that kind of pressure on a deep level, even though there is obviously a societal pressure. So we went to not an egregiously rigorous, but still an academically rigorous high school. Mm-hmm. And so college admissions, it was a big deal, you know, especially among peers. It was a very big deal. You know, where are you applying? What did you get into? And everybody was going to super cool, super fancy colleges. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you being the first in your family to go to college? I know you talked a bit about having, you know, the independence in your decisions. Mm -hmm. But what were some of the obstacles you think you had? I am a Posse scholar, so I got a full ride to college through a really rigorous interview process for a leadership scholarship, right? I think I hit the jackpot, right, on that. But, yes, talking about our high school, I, I agree. It was difficult. I think there was this sense of elitism that, although we didn't see it every day with socioeconomic status, that it still happened, but it happened more naturally, Right. There was a big elitism, I think, when it came to college and the entire college admissions process. Certain people had told me that through the eighth grade, they had been studying for like the SAT. I thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. Can you imagine? You've been studying for the SAT since you were in the eighth grade. How are you not going to do well? You know, in comparison to the other people that like, I didn't have a single SAT class as far as I remember. Even the book I couldn't afford. We had a lot of pressure. There was a point that I really thought I wasn't going to get to go to college at all because I, I kept thinking about the money aspect of it. And at the time, I didn't know how many resources there actually were. Like, like I remember thinking, if I don't get the Posse scholarship, I don't think I can go to college. When I got the Posse scholarship, and this was shocking to me, so insanely shocking to me, my mom wasn't happy for me. I don't know, I just really assumed that I would get validation, right, from my mom that she would be really proud of me. But her first question, and this is one of those things about privilege and socioeconomic privilege again, was how much are we gonna have to pay? And I, I think I told her something like $5,000 for like the meal plan or something like that. And she thought that was too much money. I think part of that came from the fact that I was going away and it's only me and her. I'm, an, I'm her only child, you know. I think that was a big part of it and seeing me kind of break off to go somewhere else, even though it wasn't that far, but she was so used to seeing something so small that when something big happened, it seemed impossible or it's, it was always like, what's the catch? And I wish I could say that that was the only time, but for many of my internships, it was like that. For even my my current job, it was like that as well. It's kind of like this huge reservation, a huge reservation coming from my mom that was very skeptical of progression and growth. What about you? Have you also found yourself having some sort of reservation? 
if you haven't seen something, you won't even know that it's possible to like, you won't even dream of it because you, you don't even think it's possible. Like um, I remember seeing a stat before my freshman year that said something like the average graduate makes 55K when they graduate. And this was like a really outdated statistic. And I thought that was like, I was like, yo, the day I make, that I make 55K is gonna be the day, like I've made it, I'm rich. Girl, if I would see a 55K offer my senior year, I wouldn't have considered it. You know what I mean? That's like the kind of growth that I'm like talking about because if I think that the highest I can go is 55, that's what I'm going to accept. But once I see the different possibilities, that's like when you kind of allow yourself to dream bigger too. You can only go as far as you allow yourself to dream. If you could go back in time and tell young Zaida anything, what would you tell her? Find the people that will support you. And I, I really think that you only need one person to believe in you. You don't need your whole neighborhood. You don't need your whole family. Family is be hating. Your friends be hating too, but you don't, like, you don't need all of that. And I'm not saying go ahead and cut everyone off, right? But I am saying you only need one person to believe in yourself, to believe in you. Sometimes it's just you believing in yourself. Find that one person. And then another thing I would say is don't limit the extent of your dreams. Don't limit it. And give back. Give back to everyone who has helped you. And low-key to those people who didn't help you. That's great advice. Thank you so much for talking to me and sharing your story. Thank you so much again to Zaida for being on the show. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. This has been There's Always a First. I'm Helena Rampazad. Thank you for listening. <laughs>